the children come Don't dare drive them away And then the kingdom comes Hear the holy foolish things they say The springtime of their life decides The adults they'll become So let the children come Please let the children Welcome to Children's Bible Journey with stories and songs just for kids. We have a dramatized Bible story coming up, but let's get today's program started by singing some praises to our awesome God. stuff. The streets will be paved with gold, and jewels will be used to build the city walls. But these things will look plain and worthless compared to the beauty of God's glory. So let's set our hearts on heavenly treasures that come from loving God and caring for others. Matthew 6 verses 19 and 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. Break in and steal For where your treasure is There your heart will also be Where 
praise the Lord. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. What a shame and pity. And to what purpose? To buy off the king of Assyria? It cannot be done. My lord, King Hezekiah thinks it can. The Assyrians have already captured almost all the Judean cities. Sennacherib is too willful and stubborn a king to let Jerusalem remain uncaptured. You can be sure that His Majesty Hezekiah is not going to give up to Sennacherib or any foreign idolatrous power without a fight. He will the do gold is all taken off the doors and knobs, sir. Any further instructions? Uh, the pillars of the temple, they are overlaid with gold. Mm. Take it off. Yes, sir. It's hopeless. You've already taken all the silver from the king's treasuries and the temple, and now all the gold? Why doesn't Hezekiah just surrender and be done with it? He'll save many lives that way. No, no, his majesty cannot do that. He's going to do all he possibly can to prepare for Sennacherib's invasion and leave the rest of the Lord God of Israel. Prepare for an invasion? What more can be done than already has been done? Walls, fortifications, towers? What possible use can we make of more walls or fortifications or towers? I tell you, Sennacherib is powerful. His army is invincible. They have already conquered all the great nations of the world. There remaineth only Jerusalem, one little city against the great Assyrian army led by a ruthless, determined king. King Hezekiah has but begun to prepare his defenses. Begun? How can he... You are the head of the king's house. You are closer to him than any of his other officers. Tell me, just what are the king's plans anyway? You'll see. Dig the pool right here. Pool, sir? Here? Dig it deep so it'll hold plenty of water. Make it, uh, oh, about 20 feet wide by about 60 feet long. I beg your pardon, sir, but uh, there flows scarcely enough water from the spring of Gion in Kidron Valley to fill such a large pool. That is exactly where the water is coming from. I see disbelief written all over your face. Yeah. Perhaps I'd better tell you what the king has in mind. Well, if I'm going to have charge of the workers, I wish you would tell me, sir. The king is going to have a tunnel dug from the spring to this pool. A tunnel? Huh. Well, admitting that it can be done, which I don't, what good will it do? If the Assyrians lay siege to Jerusalem, we'll need water inside the city. Yeah. As his majesty and you, sir, overlook the fact that this spot lies outside the walls of Jerusalem, uh -huh. But it won't. You and your workers are going to build another wall south of that one, connecting it with the regular wall so the pool will be inside Jerusalem, and we shall be assured of water regardless of how long Sennacherib and his army lay siege to the city. And I suppose that uh, I and my men are also to build the uh, tunnel through the rock and stone? Yeah, yes. Uh. Well, will you give me at least one day to finish the three impossible jobs? <laughs> All Jerusalem will pitch in and help. In the meantime, His Majesty is going to try to delay the Assyrian invasion by sending envoys to negotiate for peace. Repair all the walls of Jerusalem. Make them taller. Get up to the towers. Yes, Your Majesty. Have you men skillful in the art of making darts and shields and other weapons of war? I have, Your Majesty, and they are hard at work. Uh, soon there will be enough for all. 
have done everything possible for the defense of Jerusalem. It is now time for you and Shebna to go to the king of Assyria with gifts of silver and gold. If he refuses to make peace, we will meet him and his army with courage and faith in God. We will go at once, your majesty. Long live the king. king. You've returned from Lachish quickly. I assume that means failure. Sennacherib refused to even consider peace on our terms. He intends to march against us at once. Uh, we are as ready as we'll ever be. Care either of you to go to the temple with me while I take our dilemma to God in prayer. We will go with you, Your Majesty. Evidently, you received our message for a conference. We will listen to you. I am Rabshake, in command of His Majesty's forces. Come to capture your people and your city, unless you listen to reason. Who are you? And do you have the authority to make decisions? I am Eliakim. I will carry your message to our king. Uh, my message is simple. Surrender. Tell your king to surrender unconditionally... And there will be no shedding of blood or tearing down Jerusalem's walls or edifices. Our king will not listen. <laughs> Tell me, ye servant of a servant, in whom does your king trust that he dare refuse to surrender? Certainly not the God of Israel. Did we not conquer Samaria and all the fortified cities of Israel and Judah? Your God was helpless against us. Please, we sir, marched in will you speak in the Assyrian language? We understand and speak it, and we would rather the people watching from the city wall hear not what you are saying. They do not understand the Assyrian language. Yeah, I want them to hear and understand. Hear ye, ye people of Jerusalem, the words of the great king of Assyria. Let not Hezekiah deceive you into believing that your God can deliver you from the hand of the great king. Your God cannot deliver you. Hath any of the gods of other nations delivered them from the king of Assyria? So beware, ye people of Jerusalem, for there is no God who can deliver you. Surrender to me, and each of you shall eat of his own vine and fig tree, and drink from his own cistern. For thus saith the great king, king of Assyria. So hasten to Isaiah, tell him all that the king of Assyria hath said to us and threatens to do. Go swiftly. city of David. The Lord God of Israel through his servant Isaiah sends this message. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. For I, the Lord God of Israel, shall defend my holy city and save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. that very night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand and behold in the morning they were all dead corpses <sighs> they were all dead your majesty every one of them how did they die what killed them who? I didn't stop to examine them, your majesty. I hastened hither as fast as I could to give the news to my great king. Maybe their god does have power to deliver. I must hasten back to Nineveh. 
So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned to Nineveh, and worshipped in the house of Nisroch his god. As he worshipped, two of his sons smote him with a sword. We'll continue the Bible story tomorrow, and if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye. your dad to offer to drive me home. No problem. As a matter of fact, now I can ask you a question about something that's been bugging me. Okay. Remember what the preacher at church said about praying last week? You mean about how we should pray without ceasing? Yeah, without ceasing. What's that mean? Well, ceasing means stopping, so I guess he's saying we should never stop praying. That's what I thought, but that's impossible. I mean, Look at my dad. He's driving a car. If he closed his eyes and started praying without ceasing, we'd be in big trouble. And how about pilots and airplanes or doctors right in the middle of a big operation? You don't see them always praying. Oh, Carlos, you don't stop what you're doing, kneel down and close your eyes to pray. You can just think a prayer while you're doing other stuff. Think a prayer? Yeah, like let's say you're riding a bicycle and you look around and it's a really beautiful day. If you closed your eyes to pray, you'd probably run into a cow or something. So you just think, hey God, nice day, love the flowers. Or if I'm taking a test at school, for instance, a history test. Like the one we had today? Yeah, I can just think, hello God, I thought I was ready for this test, but my brain is on vacation. So if you could just help me remember the answer to number 37, I'd really appreciate it. That's the idea. Praying without ceasing means being able to pray anytime, anywhere. And by the way, the answer was Napoleon. Napoleon! The Spanish guy. French. I think I need to pray more. Jesus wants to be our friend. He's interested in everything we do and longs to be included in our lives. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes 
with Him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Chapter 7, Lost in the Darkness. Dee Dee had been pulling on the dumbwaiter rope when she heard one of them snap and the elevator fall down the shaft. She heard wood break as the elevator hit something at the bottom. Dust blew up the shaft at her. Jenny, Dee Dee yelled down the shaft of the dumbwaiter. Jenny? For a long time she heard nothing. Finally she heard Jenny's muffled voice. I'm okay, Jenny shouted. It was a scary ride, but I'm okay. Where are you? Dee Dee yelled down the shaft. I can't tell, Jenny shouted back. It's pitch black down here, but I think I'm in the basement. Do you think the elevator will work? No, Jenny answered. It's broken. Do you want the flashlight? Dee Dee asked. Then you would be in the dark. Isn't there a light switch down here or something? There should be. Dee Dee said. See if you can find it. I'll try to find a way out of here. If I can, I'll get help for you. Good luck, Jenny's voice said from below. We don't need luck, Jenny, Dee Dee answered. Jesus and his angels are with us. Dear Jesus, Dee Dee prayed, Jenny is probably very scared right now. I know I'm scared, and I have a flashlight. Jenny is all alone in the dark. Please send your angels to help her. Amen. Dee Dee stood up and shone her flashlight around the dark attic. The beam from the flashlight reflected off cobwebs that hung from the wooden beams above her head. Ugh, more cobwebs, Dee Dee said out loud. God, why did you create cobwebs, she asked inside her head. Probably to keep girls like me from going into scary places like this, she answered out loud. She continued to flash the beam of the flashlight around the room. Not much up here, she thought. She had expected the room to be full of boxes and trunks that would provide clues to the house's secrets. Instead, she found that it was almost empty. Then she noticed that there was a small window on the far side of the attic. She walked over to it and looked out. A full moon shone outside and she could see trees swaying in the wind. The window looked big enough for a person to climb out. Did the hiding slaves climb out of the attic here and then to the ground using one of the oak trees, she wondered. She started to open the window, but it was nailed shut. Someone didn't want me to climb out on the roof, she thought. I'm kind of glad I can't. It's cold out there. She turned and looked around the room again. The light from the full moon shone into the far corner, and Dee Dee could just make out a large object that she had not seen before. It was nestled deep in the corner, almost out of sight. As Dee Dee shone her light on it, she realized it was very large, about the size of a large dog. I wonder what it is, she thought, as she took a couple of careful steps forward. I'm feeling a little nervous up here all by myself. As she got closer, she saw that it was covered with a heavy canvas cloth. What could it be? Slowly, she walked across the attic until she was within a few feet of the big object. The ceiling slanted down near the edge, so Dee Dee had to scrunch down to get closer. Finally, she could reach it. She quickly realized that the shapeless canvas covering had been tied over the top of the object with a piece of wire. The wire had gotten rusty. It didn't take much effort for Dee Dee to bend the wire so it came apart in her hands. Moving the heavy canvas off the top of the object was a bigger problem. Dee Dee had a hard time finding a way to grasp the canvas. It was heavy oilcloth, and her hands couldn't find anything to hold on to. 
The edges of the canvas were tucked under the object so she had no way to pull it off. Finally, she pulled one edge loose. By pulling it up and away, she was able to work the heavy cloth off the top and push it back behind the object. It's an old trunk, she said out loud. It was square on all four sides and rounded on top. And it's big enough for Jenny and me to both fit inside. She shone her flashlight at the trunk and the brass corners, hinges, and latches shone in its light. Wow, she said in a half whisper. On the front of the trunk were two initials, A.M. This trunk must have belonged to Albert Morgan, Captain Morgan. She looked at the huge latch in the front with its giant lock. Should I try to open it? I'm sure it's locked up tight. A man with as many enemies as Captain Morgan would have always kept it locked. Dee Dee reached over and tugged at the lock. To her surprise, it fell open. Do I dare open the trunk, she wondered. I have to. The answers to a lot of our questions may be in here. Without waiting another second, she flipped the center latch up, turned the two side latches, and pushed the lid open. As the lid went up, Dee Dee's mind was racing. What could be inside? Treasure? Guns? Captain Morgan's whiskey? But the first thing she saw was just everyday clothes folded neatly inside the trunk. She carefully lifted the shirts and pants from one side and placed them on top of the others on the other side. Beneath them, she saw a layer of books. Inland Navigational Techniques, Dee Dee read out loud. That must be about sailing a boat on a river. The second book she picked up was called Shallows, Shoals, and Safe Harbors Along the Lower Mississippi. I was right. Books about sailing on the Mississippi River. Well, they look boring to me, she muttered. She looked at the titles of a few more before setting those aside. Next, she saw a small white box. She lifted the box out and opened it. Inside, a brass instrument shone in front of her flashlight. It had a tube you could look into on top, with two brass legs front and back, and a curved something, like a ruler, on the bottom. She looked at the inside cover of the box. Professional sextant, Boston Mass, she read. Sextant, huh? she said aloud. I know what that is. That's the instrument sailors used to tell where they were at sea by comparing certain stars to their horizon. Captain Morgan would be proud of me, she added with a grin. She put the sextant back in the box and set it aside. What else do we have in here? she asked aloud. Below the sextant, she found a stack of several small flags of different colors. Wonder what these are for, she thought. At the very bottom of the trunk, she found something wrapped up in cloth. She pulled it out and discovered that it was heavy and cold. She carefully unwrapped it. The bundle became two. She set the small bundle down on the floor and unwrapped the other. What she discovered sent an electric jolt of fear into her. It was a gun. Glowing in the light of the flashlight was a large, heavy revolver. I wonder if this is the gun Captain Morgan used for any of the bad things he did. Dee Dee didn't know if it was loaded, but she knew enough about guns that she should leave it alone. She carefully rewrapped it and set it aside. The smaller wrapped bundle turned out to be bullets for the gun. She rewrapped them quickly. There was nothing else to be seen in the trunk. Dee Dee carefully put everything back in the trunk the way it had been originally. She was just putting the clothes back in their place when she heard something scratching and crawling around behind her. Who's there? she hissed, grabbing her flashlight and shining it toward the sound. At first she saw nothing and she felt the hairs on the back of her neck stand up. Then she saw it. A huge rat ran from one corner across the edge of the attic and disappeared into a hole. Her heart raced in her chest for a minute, but then she realized that the rat was gone. I hope it's gone for good, she said in a loud voice. Then she saw something gleaming in the corner. 
Closing the lid of the trunk, Dee Dee turned and walked toward the corner where she had seen the rat. Her heart started pounding again, but it didn't stop her from looking in the corner. Something was there, something shiny, and she had an idea what it might be. Dee Dee's hands were shaking when she reached the corner, but the wobbling light showed a big pile of shredded paper. I was right, she said out loud. It's a rat's nest, and it's a big one. Bits of colored cloth, sticks, spoons, and buttons were piled in the center of the nest, and right in the middle of it was Jenny's watch. Well, Dee Dee said aloud, that rat must have been the thief all along. She looked closer and found the missing key to the front door, still on its small chain, lying next to Jenny's watch. Just as she reached for the key and the watch, she heard a squeaking noise behind her. Startled, she swung her flashlight toward the sound. Just as she reached for the key and the watch, she heard a squeaking noise behind her. Startled, she swung her flashlight toward the sound. The front of the flashlight crashed against the boards by her head and shattered. Dee Dee was suddenly surrounded by darkness. The story you have heard today is a chapter of The Shoebox Kids, Book 7, The Clue in the Secret Passage, written by Glenn Robinson, edited and created by Jerry D. Thomas, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy, foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come. Please let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.